0: Our understanding of our world and how it came to be would be much less if it were not for the very many great scientists, historians and explorers who have endured much in the name of scientific and educational advancement over the centuries. One such person was a woman who lived in the 19th century on the south coast of England. She was poorly educated, mostly self-taught and from a working-class background. But her discoveries would help to create a new branch of science – which would advance our understanding of what came before us. She was very definitely ahead of her time. This is the story of Mary Anning, also known as The Greatest Fossil Hunter. Let's find out more. I'm Leanne Walker and this is Wonder, the show where each week I bring you tales of wonder and curiosity from across the globe about the people, places and events that shape our daily lives. Mary Anning was born on May the 21, 1799, to Richard and Mary Anning of Lyme Regis, a coastal town situated on the southwest coast of Great Britain. Richard and Mary had 10 children, but only 2 of them, Mary and Joseph, survived. Richard was a carpenter and an amateur fossil collector. Sadly, he died of tuberculosis when Mary was just 11, leaving his family in debt. But one thing he did leave them with was a skill that would prove to be very fruitful for later life. He passed on his fossil hunting skills to his wife and children. He trained Mary and her brother Joseph on how to look for and clean fossils. After the death of their father, Mary and Joseph used those skills to search for fossils on the local cliffs, often a dangerous task, especially in the winter when there could be landslides. They then sold these curios to provide a meagre income for the family. The coastal cliffs around Lyme Regis are one of the richest fossil locations in Britain and part of a geological formation known as the Blue Lias. This consists of alternating layers of limestone and shale laid down as sediment on a shallow seabed early in the Jurassic period. This was about 196 to 145 million years ago. By the late 18th century, Lyme Regis had become a popular seaside resort, and collecting fossils was an interesting pastime for the locals and visitors alike. Locals supplemented their income by selling fossils or curios, as they were called, with colourful local names such as snake stones, ammonites, devil's fingers, Bellumnites, and vertebrae. Although fossil collecting was in vogue in the late 18th and early 19th century, at first as a pastime. It was gradually transforming into a science as the importance of fossils to geology and biology was understood. From the end of the 17th to the beginning of the 19th centuries was an exciting time. Several discoveries of dinosaur remains were reported for the first time. The concept of an ancient earth became part of the public understanding. The Geological Society of London was founded in 1807 in Covent Garden in London. During this time, Women were free to take part in collecting fossils and mineral specimens, and they could attend lectures, but they were barred from membership in this and other scientific societies. So this was the time in which Mary and her brother Joseph were scaling the cliffs of Lyme Regis in search of curios to sell. As they grew more proficient at finding the fossils, their finds became bigger and more intricate. In 1811, they caught the public's attention when Mary and her brother unearthed the skeleton of what was described as a primeval monster. They sold it for £23, which is equivalent to about £1,300 or seventeen hundred and fifty US dollars today, to the local lord of the manor, who in turn passed it to a collector. It was finally sold for £45 to the British Museum of London, to Charles Koenig, who had already coined it ichthyosaurus because of its fish-like appearance, the term meaning fish-lizard in Greek. The ichthyosaur caused quite a stir, because it raised questions about the earth and how living things came to be. They were so unlike any known living creature. Until the early 19th century, it was still believed that all creatures were created by God, and that new species didn't appear and existing species couldn't become extinct, because by doing so would suggest that God's creation was imperfect. This is a widely held view, even within the scientific community. Literate, well-educated, curious people would explain away these anomalies by them belonging to animals from parts of the earth yet undiscovered. Ichthyosaurs were not dinosaurs. Dinosaurs ruled the land. The Ichthyosaurs were marine vertebrates living in the seas with other groups of large marine reptiles. The earliest Ichthyosaurs had long, flexible bodies. Their shape was akin to that of tuna or mackerel today, both extremely fast fish so it's thought likely that the later ichthyosaurs were built for speed as well. The first ichthyosaurs appeared in the Triassic period, and then in the Jurassic period they reached their highest diversity and then began to decline, and the last ichthyosaurs disappeared in the Cretaceous period, which is several million years before the last dinosaurs died out. By the middle of the 1820s, young Mary Anning began taking charge of the family fossil business. Joseph had by this time trained as an upholsterer, and had his career set on that, so he no longer collected fossils. Mary's skill and dedication unearthed many remarkable finds, and these provided the family with a welcome source of income. All that was gained from the fossils, Mary gave to her mother for the family. The fossils were eagerly sought, not only by museums and scientists, but by European nobles, many of whom had substantial private collections of fossils and other curiosities. After the discovery of the ichthyosaurus, things improved a little, but despite the significance of the find, the Anning family benefited little from it. Money was still very short in the Anning home, and Mary and her family were barely making a living. It was now that a man and friend of the family, Lieutenant Colonel Birch of Lincolnshire, chose to help them out financially. He was a professional fossil collector and came to know the family well. He saw their desperate situation and sympathised with them. By 1820, having made no major discoveries for a year, they were at the point of having to sell their furniture to pay the rent. Birch decided to hold an auction to sell off all his fine fossil collection and donate the proceeds to the Anning family. He felt that the Annings could not live in such considerable difficulty, considering that they have, quote, found almost all the fine things which have been submitted to scientific investigation. I may never again possess what I'm about to part with, yet in doing it, I shall have the satisfaction of knowing that the money will be well applied. He sold his large collection of fossils for £400 and gave some part of the proceeds to Mary. This helped the family greatly and allowed Mary to continue with her fossil hunting. She was now working at the forefront of a new science that was helping to reveal Earth's natural history by studying the significant number and size of fossils that she found. They allowed extinct organisms and their environments to be reconstructed and these discoveries helped to develop a new discipline within science that came to be called palaeontology. It sits between biology and geology. Mary made many great discoveries, including several other fine ichthyosaur skeletons, some ranging between 5 to 20 feet long. But perhaps her most significant find from a scientific point of view was her discovery of the first plesiosaur. Late in 1823, she discovered an almost perfect fossilised skeleton of a plesiosaur, a similar sized reptile to the ichthyosaur, but with an elongated neck, a turtle-like body, very small head, and fins like paddles. The famous French anatomist, Georges Cuvier, doubted the validity of the specimen when he first examined a detailed drawing. Once Cuvier realised that this was a genuine find, He recognised her work and its value, and cited her name in his publications. This recognition meant the Anning family, and particularly young Mary Anning, were now respected fossil scientists in the eyes of the scientific community. In 1828, Mary found the first pterosaur outside of Germany. These were the earliest vertebrates known to have evolved to powered flight. This is on display in the Natural History Museum in London. Despite this recognition, most of Mary's finds ended up in museums and personal collections, without credit being given to her as the discoverer of the fossils. She became well-known in geological circles in Britain, Europe and America, but was not eligible to join the Geological Society of London – they didn't admit women until 1904 – and she didn't always receive full credit for her scientific contributions. Many scientists of the day couldn't believe that a young woman from such a deprived background could possess the knowledge and skills that she seemed to display. How wrong they were. Mary had only a limited education, yet it is clear that she was not only a collector, but was well versed in the scientific understanding of what she collected. She analysed her finds, often comparing the anatomies of the fossils with those of their living relatives. She also dissected modern animals, including both fish and cuttlefish, to gain a better understanding of the anatomy of some of the fossils with which she was working. She read as widely as she could, seeking out scientific papers wherever possible. She is known to have hand-copied papers that she borrowed from others. Paleontologist Christopher McGowan examined a copy she made of an 1824 paper by William Conybeare, the eminent British geologist, on marine reptile fossils, and noted that the copy included several pages of Mary's detailed technical illustrations. He said that he could hardly tell between her copy and the original illustration, such was her accuracy and technical ability. In 1826, at the age of 27, Mary managed to save enough money to buy a home for the family that also had a shop with a glass-fronted window. She called it Anning's Fossil Depot. This allowed her to display her fossil finds for passers-by to see and of course to encourage them to buy. By this time Mary was very well known across Europe and America. Visiting geologists and fossil collectors would come to Lyme Regis to see her latest specimens, buy them for their own collections, and of course to speak with Mary about fossil hunting. Even visiting royalty stopped by, King Frederick Augustus II of Saxony visited her shop in 1844, and bought an ichthyosaur skeleton for his extensive natural history collection. The king's physician and aide wrote in his journal, This specimen would have been such a great acquisition for many of the cabinets of natural history on the continent, and I consider the price demanded, £15 sterling, as very moderate. By 1830 the economy was slowing down and there was a reduced demand for fossils. It was also taking Mary longer to find the fossils, so she didn't have as many good specimens to sell. As a result her sales slowed down and her financial position worsened. To help her out, her friend the geologist and amateur artist, Henry de la Beche, assisted her by commissioning a lithographic print based on his watercolour painting, Duria Antiquio. This beautiful watercolour showed prehistoric Dorset life and displayed many of the fossils that Mary had found. The painting caught the public imagination allowing ordinary people to picture what life could have looked like in the distant past. It showed a world whose animals were very different to the familiar animals of the modern world. It encouraged discussion about how species came to be and how one type of animal replaced another. It brought science to the masses. Henry sold copies of the lithographic print to his fellow geologists and other wealthy friends and donated the proceeds to the Anning family. Unlike some of his contemporaries and even close friends, Henry believed in what Mary was doing and wanted to acknowledge her work and the important role that was playing in science. Despite her discoveries and her fame, however, Mary remained poor. A wealthy friend, Anna Marie Pinney, who sometimes searched for fossils with Mary under the cliffs, wrote, She is very kind and good to all her own relations, and what money she gets by collecting fossils goes to them or to anyone else that wants it. She also wrote about her friend's frustration that her contributions to science had not been fully credited. She says the world has used her ill, and she doesn't care for it. According to her account, these men have made a great deal by publishing works, of which she furnished the contents, while she derived none of the advantages. Mary's mother died in 1842, and for the first time in her life she was living alone. By then she was 43. She never married, and continued to go out every day in search of her fossils. Her desire to learn, her love of the coastline where she lived, and her interest in these creatures from long ago kept her going. This, unfortunately, was not to last, though. A few years later, Mary contracted breast cancer. In 1846, when the Geological Society of London heard of her ill health, they gave her an annuity of £25 in return for her many contributions to the science of geology. She died on 9th of March 1847 at the age of 47. She was buried in the cemetery of St. Michael's the Archangel Church in Lyme Regis. Her brother, who had become church warden, was buried beside her just two years later. Members of the Geological Society contributed to a stained glass window in her memory, unveiled in 1850. The inscription reads, This window is sacred to the memory of Mary Anning of this parish who died 9th March A.D. 1847 and is erected by the vicar and some members of the Geological Society of London in commemoration of her usefulness in furthering the science of geology, as also of her benevolence of heart and integrity of life. In 1865, Charles Dickens wrote an article about Mary Anning's life in his literary magazine All the Year Round, where he emphasised the difficulties she had overcome. Her history shows what humble people may do if they have just purpose and courage enough toward promoting the cause of science. The inscription under her memorial window commemorates her usefulness in furthering the science of geology. It was not a science when she began to discover and so helped to make it one. The carpenter's daughter has won a name for herself and has deserved to win it. And in 2010, 163 years after her death, the Royal Society included Mary Anning in a list of the ten British women who have most influenced the history of science. The world is richer because of Mary's dedication and work. She didn't receive the accolades she deserved in her time, but she is now regarded by many as the greatest fossil hunter. She is a true wonder. Thanks for listening. For more information, sources and links, head on over to www.injustoneday.com forward slash the fossil hunter. Keep in touch via social media or email hello at injustoneday.com But until next time, have a great day.